We love when our students go out and they, they work, you know, learn the theory in our classroom, then they go out and they apply it in the real world. And it's great that that podcast shows them, hey, these are the things that you need to do in order to do that well. If the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Jason, did you sign up yet for the Cranes Manufacturing Summit, February 25th? I will be there. Awesome. So will I. You know I'm going to be working that day. I'm not going to be working with you that day. Oh, yeah. As a matter of fact, we will. We'll be recording there, as a matter of yeah, fact. Yeah, we, we are going to be recording. We're going to be recording each of the panelists that are going to be there. And the topic this year is manufacturing for growth. Yeah, that's exactly what I'll be moderating. I'll be asking the panelists some great questions about what they think about the growth in manufacturing and in their own businesses. Again, want to, want to give our listeners the promo code and the website? Yeah, it's chicagobusiness.com slash manu, M-A-N-U, and the promo code is M-A-N-U-2. I'll be there. Me too. Hello, Metalworking Nation. We are coming to you from Franklin Park, Illinois, at the East Leiden High School. And this is Making Chips, where we equip and inspire manufacturing leaders. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm also in the studio with my good friend and co-host, Jim Carr. How you doing, Jim? Jason, I'm doing really good. I'm excited about this episode today. I think we got a little preview of what we're going to talk about in the shop there, and I'm really excited to talk to Frank about this great program here at East Leiden High School. And if, if you want to check out our Instagram page, we're actually going to post some pictures of their metals lab so that you could check it out. I do have some manufacturing news to talk about. I was listening to another podcast that was talking about manufacturing, and they were boasting about the disruption in the machining industry due to 3D printing. What this podcast talked about was that GE was currently in development to replace some kind of fuel nozzle with a 3D printed fuel nozzle that had formerly required, they said 2,000 parts that seemed a little high for a fuel nozzle, but basically that they were going to replace all of these outsourced parts for this fuel nozzle because it was going to be 3D printed in their own facilities. And it was basically, you know, watch out machining companies because this is coming to you. Did GE said this? This was one of their articles? It, no, it wasn't their podcast. It was a podcast that was talking about that GE had made this statement. And that said, watch out. This podcast was making the statement that you need to be cognizant of oh, right. the fact that this might be coming to parts that you manufacture. Well, we just interviewed Pete Zielinski, the editor of Additive Manufacturing Magazine. We were talking about 3D printing, and he was talking about near-net-shaped parts. And he said, what was his quote? You can subtract material faster than you can add material. Something to that effect. You know, I, I think that additive it has its place in a manufacturing environment. I just don't know if it's going to be competition to a machine shop yet. I would agree, but it was just interesting that they made this statement. I just got a note from somebody else here in the studio with us that GE actually just acquired a 3D printing company, and they've got over 50 machines already that they're doing 3D printing on. So they've bought into... Um, well, they the, bought into the, yeah. the what, what it's all about, and 
of you know that's great because eventually they're going to get better at what they do with continual improvement in place and and just tweaking the machines uh, they can get better quality parts and, and much much closer tolerance from what from what I understand about it yeah it's interesting why don't we actually um get into this and talk about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. We have Frank Holthaus here in the studio, in our portable studio here today in Franklin Park. Frank is a seven-year department chairperson over the industrial tech department here at the Leiden program. He's been 10 years at Leiden East as an industrial tech teacher. Frank's got his bachelor's degree in industrial tech education at Illinois State University. He grew up right here local in uh, Des Plaines, Illinois. It's kind of ironic. I was just asking Frank if he has anybody in the business or in the industry, and he said his grandpa was a machinist, grew up having a bridge port in the basement of his home, and his mom is a science teacher. So like he said, he's a he's a hybrid of what he is today, kind of like us all, right? Yeah, it sounds it's like you were, ironic. Yeah, you were made for this position. Yeah, so it's it's great that Frank invited us in to East Leiden today to see his department talk about all the new and exciting stuff they're doing in advanced technology education and share with us and our listeners all this good information. Just as a little overview, so the industrial technology department here at Leiden High Schools, which encompasses uh, East and West Leiden, covers courses in automotive technology, wood, construction, engineering, robotics, software, electronics, 3D printing, and machining. So obviously, we're, we're here particularly to talk about their machining program, but we're also going to get into the engineering side and the robotics and the software and the electronics. It's all encompassing. It's yeah, all it's, encompassing. It, it yeah. all works together. Absolutely. Sure the students in their machining class, which they call their metals class, learn how to read precision measuring tools, blueprints. They program CNC mills, lays, and they operate drills, and they manufacture precision products from the raw material. And a lot of these students go right from high school to working in a manufacturing shop floor. So it's quite, quite a program that they have here. So welcome, Frank. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Let me just get that out there. You uh, do listen to us, right? I do. I Good. Do. Thank you. Yeah. We, we appreciate that support. Yeah. You actually told me once that you, you have one of the episodes that's required listening for your students, right? Absolutely. It's why, why your next manufacturing leader is going to come from high school. Oh, that one. I remember that one. That was a good one. Yeah. It's a really good one. You got a great list. Of, and, and so it's important for students to hear that, that, you know, that they, this is a valued path for them. Um, I think so often we say, okay, it's college, but and that's one path, but there's so many different paths to success. And, and it's nice you guys are highlighting that other path that is so important. So you turn it on in your classroom. It's a required thing that everyone listened to that particular show. Yes. Awesome. That's it great. Directly relates. It's perfect. And you know, we love when our students go out and they they work. You know, learn the theory in our classroom, then they go out and they apply it in the real world. And it's great that that podcast shows them, hey, these are the things that you need to do in order to do that well. So watch it or listen to it, and uh, it's a real internalize world it. It's a real world stuff, man. Yeah, your your comment that we had high school students listening to making chips actually inspired Jim and I to uh, <laughs> cut off the uh, make sure we didn't have any cuss words in the uh, in the podcast. It, we we had a meeting about this. That is that is very true. So pretty sure they've heard it before. I'm so. sure they have too. Yeah, but we need a set example. We, we yes, we did, and we needed to make a decision on what direction we were going to go. <laughs> exactly. So. 
Tell us the story of the Leiden Metals program, particularly the the overall industrial program going back to you know its inception. I've been at Leiden for 10 years, and I fell into a great job where we already had some really amazing programs, and our metalworking program is probably the oldest one that I could think of that's been around since the beginning of Leiden. This building goes back to 1927, but we've had additions and additions and additions. And somewhere around the 1940s, um, we knew that they put in the addition for the metal shop. World War II, wow. World War II. Well, that's when manufacturing was super, super strong. In this yeah, that's country. when they needed, everybody was making metal parts back then. And so we actually had some old articles too that showed that we were training students during the day and then it was open to the public at, in the evening. And then we were training, you know, those people who were then making, uh, you know, manufacturing the things we needed to be successful in World War II. So uh, it was kind of cool. There's some rich history there. And we've gone, you know, we've ha- we haven't taken a year off since then. And, and now we have, I think, a pretty industry reflective, pretty 21st century lab. And we're very proud of where we are and where we've taken our program since the 1940s. That's great. And and I definitely concur that you guys have a state-of-the-art lab. I mean, it- I was I mean, really impressed. Yeah. I, I, I mean, to tell you. Yeah. There's, you know, CNC Haas mills. You guys have manual mills and, and lays that people start on. I mean, it, it's definitely a, a very impressive metals lab. Yeah. Why don't you share with our listeners? Yeah, I saw you have a couple bridge ports and you have a couple of, what was the other bridge port? Uh, sharp. Milling, sharp. Yeah. So how many total milling machines do you have? Manual. Uh, so yeah, we have eight and eight. So eight knee style mills and eight uh, manual lathes that are variable speed. And you have, I counted three Haas turning centers and two Haas vertical CNC mills. Yes. BMCs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I have to ask, is, is Haas pretty good about getting those on uh, the shop floor and they've been a huge partner they really have been a huge partner for us when we go to place an order we do look at you know we have to do our due diligence as being that we're taxpayer funded and so we look at all different quotes that we get but really Haas has been the company that has always come back and been able to offer us very competitive pricing has been able to offer us things like the simulators you've seen down on the shop floor um, at at no cost as you know part of that machine purchase and and it's that commitment that they've made um, and, and when you know, years later, if we have an issue, it, it takes just one phone call. They're there the next day, and it's a no charge repair. They've really have been a great, great partner in uh, in helping us. That's good. I hear that very often. As as a matter of fact, yeah, yeah we we heard that at workshops for warriors, and we we've heard that at other you know nonprofit and training centers at Haas. Is a I'd love to have an interview with um, somebody at Haas. Gene Haas. I Gene can, Haas. I. I I know somebody that can get Gene Haas Great. on the podcast. Great, for yeah, us, so. I'd, I'd love to talk about that because yeah. they they put a lot of machines into into training U.S. That's what CNC it's all machines. about. If we don't do it, uh, it's going to be we're going to have some trouble here. But tell tell me a little bit about how a a student can enter the program, Frank. So is it extracurricular or? Do they get credit for it? I mean, I, I want to talk about the NIMS credentials because I think that's absolutely f- fantastic. But let's just take a student, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, that's here at Leiden. When can they, at the earliest age, enroll in the program? Sure. So we could actually take freshmen and get them into our metalworking program, which is kind of crazy. Not every high school does that, but we want to really just take down any roadblock that's possible and get students where they want to be and find their passion as soon as possible. And the way we work, we have some courses that are what we call core courses or required courses. That's our English, math, science, gym. Those are required 
they have to take it. And then students get to elect to take other courses. So they have to figure out what do I want to do? Where, you know, what are things that I would like to spend my time on? And so for a lot of our students, that's, that's metalworking. Um, and for some students, they don't know metalworking and they really need to, uh, I guess, see our area, figure out what it's all about a little bit. And that's part of the learning curve of getting more students down to our area. It's probably like the biggest battle for any high school out there is what is machine tool? What is chip making? What is, uh, you know, our students don't, they, they hang out at the mall. They don't necessarily hang out in an industrial park checking out machining centers. They don't really walk into that background knowledge that, you know, for example, uh, we have a really good family consumer sciences department. They do really, really good stuff. And, and they cooking shows are on TV like, like crazy cake boss, all, all sorts of shows. Um, so students walk in kind of knowing, you know, what, what the cooking class is going to be about. They don't walk in the metals class knowing what the metals class is going to be all about. Um, so that's why we call it metals. We like, Oh, you just, you just streamline the name. Boom. It's metals class. So they at least have an idea. Okay. Keep I'm going to be simple. doing something with metal. Just really try to break it down. So that way there's absolutely the least amount of confusion as possible. Students kind of know what they're getting into. And that really helps a lot. So you know, I was going to ask you that question because I was wondering why it was just called metals. And I thought, you know, why isn't it called like manufacturing or machine tool program? But you just answered that question. I think that's a great point. And it's probably about six years ago, we used to be called machine tool. And we kept on getting questions from parents and students. of what would like, are you working with machines? What types of machines? What types of tools? Like it, it for, for, for that population of students, that name had become antiquated. So, You're simplifying it. Yeah. Make it as simple as possible. And hopefully there's less and confusion. You know You're saying exactly what it is. It's yeah. a metals class. You're dealing with metals. So I'm a freshman in high school. I want to enroll in this elect, this metals elective class. What would I be introduced to as a freshman in your class? We start off, number one, with safety and measurement. That seems to be in, in all of our courses, safety and measurement, especially with freshmen, especially with teenagers in general. We want to make sure that we're crystal clear on what our expectations are and, and how to use the machine safely. And then measurement seems to be an epidemic, you know, fractional rulers, uh, and then and then you get in the precision measuring with the micrometers and the dial calipers, and it, there's definitely a learning curve there. And so we like to just start out so that we all have a common language, so that we, when we say a thousandth of an inch, they can visualize it, they know what's going on, they know what that feels like, they know how to make that cut. So briefly, what do you cover in the safety program? It's usually machine-based, so as you approach a mill, here's the considerations you should have. Um, when you approach a lathe, these are the considerations. So it's, it's, it's focused around each machine, so they know hey, I'm in front of the bandsaw. Here's what I should do. I should not cut round stock on my vertical bandsaw uh, unless you have that vice set up or something like that. That's the process. So that they're they're in that mindset of I'm in front of this machine. These This is what I have to consider at this time. And then, of course, there's the general shop uh, safety mindsets. Glasses and, yeah. Yes, safety glasses. What keeping, about like jewelry or watches? They can't wear that while they're running the so machine. So we, we, we encourage our students to call us out. So I'm, I'm wearing a tie right yeah, now, which you, you can't see. It's a very big no-no. And I have to tuck it into my shirt and I tell my students, if you see me walk in the lab with a loose tie, you tell me. All right. And I'm going to tell you if I see anything hanging out or if you're, you know, you didn't roll up your sleeves or your hoodie strings are out, Mike, I'm going to tell you and, and we got to watch each other, but we want to make sure that number one, you know, safety's first. So your tie is the same thing as their hoodie string. That's kind of like the it. analogy. Absolutely. And it's a two-way road. So I think that's great, Frank, that you're teaching them the core fundamentals of safety first, because that's a characteristic that they're going to have to learn throughout their lifetime if this is the career choice that they're going to take. So the safety course is the very first thing that their entry... I should probably take it back a step. As far as our structure for the metals student, someone wants to go down their career path. We have, again, metals one, metals two. They have an independent study that we encourage them to take. And then it's 
uh, what we call our co-op, which is um, now they're going off into industry. That That's really their four-year picture. So we actually cover in metals one, safety. Okay. And even when they take metals two again, we recover safety because it's that important. We just want to make sure there's absolutely no chance that a student isn't being mindful when they're in the shop. So the co-op starts in junior year then, is that correct? Ideally our senior year. And then our junior year, we do an independent study. And that's really where we can uh, have students explore their passions. And so they would actually write us a proposal on what they want to do. So it's kind of a unique setup for, for uh, classes. So when do, when do they get to like turn the machines on? When do they start making parts to print? And does it start in the manual aspect and then they segue over into CNC machining or share with us about that? So we've actually done it both ways. And if it was up to the students, they'd be machining day one. They really, they want to get in there. Right. Pro, well, they want to be machining. Right. They, they want to cut metal. They want to cut today. metal right away. They want to make sparks, uh, even though they don't know what that means. So we, 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 we feel that and we want to make sure that we accommodate that as much as, as safely possible. So what we'll do is we'll cover the safety unit in about two to three weeks. And then we move them into the machines. Normally what we do, the, the normal process would be start in the manual, get the tactile feedback, see it, hear it, feel what a good cut is, your feed rates, your speeds, get all that honed in. And then let's bring you over to the CNC side. So when you go to program it, you know what an acceptable feed rate would be. You could hear chatter. You could know if something's wrong, where you might not know that if you start just on the CNC side. I call that fundamental machinist skills, what you just described. Those are the fundamental things. You know, Hearing it is one big thing. You can tell if, the, if it's running at the wrong RPM or wrong feed rate or backwards or or backwards or if it's a conventional cut and they probably learned conventional cut versus climb cut sure. at that time mm-hmm. that you're, you're not going to take a climb cut on a bridgeport milling machine unless you got the lock on right it's typically in cnc when you start cutting more in climb cuts sure yeah and you know what's amazing about this what's it this is high school kids learning this it's stuff. great isn't, isn't that amazing yeah i mean was this even offered to you when you were in high it school so, it wasn't offered to me they only it had was. wood class by me. As a matter of fact, as long as you ask, I'll share with you my high school experience. Was this during World War II? No, it was, it was a while ago, though. <laughs> we, won't, we won't go back there. I won't, I won't call out any years. So when I was in eighth grade and ready to move on to freshman year in high school, uh, I went to a Catholic grammar school, and my options were either a Catholic high school or a public high school. The public high school offered a medals course. The public school won over the Catholic school because of that reason. Did your dad push you towards that? He did. Oh, really? He did. Okay. Well, okay. you know, and you saw that as your vision where you well, were going. I didn't, so. I didn't at that at that time, Jason. I kind of figured it out maybe the senior year in high school when you know I, I had that opportunity to make the career choice decision. But your dad knew, and he was like, "You need to go." Well, to public I think school. I think he thought he could um, enhance anything that I was learning there. And I, I got to be honest, I didn't love it. In high school, I, I went through it. I got through it. I, I learned the skills, but I did it. But I, we were not doing things like this. We, there was really no safety. We made a vice. We single pointed on a lathe. We got some castings and we put it in a bridge port and in a vice and machined it and put drilled and tapped some holes. So yeah, I mean it was relevant back then. But then I think I don't I don't know when the big decline in these industrial tech departments went down. But they just got rid of them because funding, I guess. It happened to me. I went to Maine West High School, and while while I was in Maine West, they closed the metals program. Um, and at the time, again, I didn't really know what I was missing. You know, high school is kind of a blur. 
But uh, it, it definitely was, you know, just being in that age and being exposed to so many different things. I wasn't quite sure where my passion was. So I, I knew that there was a metal shop. I knew that it was closing and I didn't really know the impact of that until, you know, I, I landed in the position that I did. And then I had a, a little bit different of a lens to look through that from, yeah, that, that, that was a big problem. And a lot of, a lot of school districts did the same thing that they, they saw, Hey, they're, they're not, there's not a lot of hiring at this moment. Let's close this down. It's kind of expensive. Uh, or we, we are having trouble finding teachers in this area. Let, let's shut it down. And that's a very dangerous, dangerous thing to do because you invested years and years behind a teacher, behind equipment, the curriculum, the curriculum. And so if, if that's not cherished over those years, rebuilding a program from scratch is insanely expensive, nearly impossible to find the talent to, to have, uh, especially nowadays, finding a metalworking teacher is extremely, extremely difficult. So there, there's definitely some roadblocks to doing it today where if you were to carry on a program, so for all you districts out there that are listening that are considering closing a program, don't do it. If you have to start a program from scratch, you definitely can. It's just going to take some grunt work because there's not a lot of candidates out there. You kind of have to make your own. And that's what we did when we opened up our West Metal Shop is we, we found a really good industrial tech teacher that wasn't necessarily a great metals teacher. And then, hey, we have a really good support network. We do have this great tech council full of industry members that could help train. We do have the knowledge of other instructors now that could help earn the NIMS credentials, get that background knowledge. And now she's as confident as any other teacher that, that we have. Yeah, stop. I got I to gotta ask Frank this question first because he mentioned NIMS credentials. I was wowed. I was taken aback when he told me that these students that are enrolled in this curriculum could actually walk away from high school with NIMS 1, I'm sh- at the very least. What about NIMS 2 credentialing? So we do parts of each one. So like NIMS MMS, definitely one, CNC operator, mill, CNC operator, lay. Those are like the guaranteed ones that we can get students. And then after that, it's really based on where their passion is, right? If they, they do offer like a manual mill credential. So if it depends on what their job is. If they're, if they're a CNC operator, that's not going to be valuable for that uh, student necessarily. So we've really let you know, we have the kind of three foundational credentials. And then after that, it's up to them. What are those three credentials? So uh, MMS is material measurement and safety. So definitely something that's really important for everyone. So we want everyone to do good on that. And then CNC operator and lathe operator, just because we're looking at, you know, being future focused. CNC is going to be a huge part of every manufacturing area. And I, I still see the occasional Bridgeport style mill, but it's usually tucked away in the corner and it's not necessarily the active machine. And, you know, I'll sometimes ask, so what do you, do you use that? What do you use it for? And, you know, sometimes for squaring up stock or that one-off little thing or cleaning something up, but it doesn't sound like a full-time position to me. And you look at what people are we buying. We sold all our bridge ports at, our, at my shop, so we have nothing, nothing manual left at all. And, and that's what we heard a lot of. So, you know, being as future-focused as possible when we're designing curriculum, we want to make sure that, yeah, we're going to go the CNC route because there is turning between centers, which is a manual credential. So, okay, if a student is already doing that, we will offer it, but we'll rather focus on the CNC credentials. So going back, how do you get those kids excited or how do you get their parents, like in Jim's case, excited about getting their kids going in this program in freshman year? What's your marketing tactics for for getting that done? Very good question. For our population, our students are at the high school age, so they really are at the point where they get to make most of their decisions for themselves. So even if we sell the parents, which I do think is important, we didn't close the deal yet. We really have to close the deal with the students. So we ask them, you know, we'll show them example things that are made out of metal and what would you like to do? So some of the projects that we've done, we, we do cut NIMS pro- projects, we do cut TMA projects, and we're involved in the TMA precision machining competition. They love the competition side of it. They love the projects, but there's some other things that 
they just think is, is cool. We, we actually make a wallet out of two pieces of titanium and a couple of gaskets. I mean, we passed it around at our, our, our last Leiden Tech Council meeting. It's, pretty, it's a pretty impressive little thing, but it's always on them. And uh, it's a good example of what they made. It's custom to them. There's only one of that thing in the world. Um, and so that means a lot to students. And that was definitely... I would have never have guessed a wallet. This was yeah. They could show it to their friends that might be younger and say, "Hey, you can make this if you you know go into this program." That project was transformative for our program. Believe it or not, just something little like that, getting the input from students. Um, so that's been one. We're uh, I actually know there's a machinist on Instagram that I've I've followed him, and he actually came out with a um, a wallet made out of metal, and he's put it on Kickstarter and selling thousands of dollars of this thing. So, I mean, that's something that you could talk to the students about too. I have a uh, machined pen. So again, these little things. Yeah. So this actually turned on a CNC, it's threaded, but all all these little things that, uh, again, you use them every day and they're not the typical things that you you would imagine, right? They're not the drop punch or the U block or, or some of the other things. And we still do those projects, but we also just, we, we, we changed up a little bit and that keeps the interest there. Uh, again, being in an elective area, you really have to be responsive to what, where the student interest is. There was a video that I saw from, I think it was ABC News, where one of the metals teachers at another high school, um, in order to get the kids excited, he was having them manufacture lightsabers. Which is very relevant right now with, you know, the Star Wars movie being out and everything. I mean, you know, it's just a handle, obviously, but, you know, it's kind of cool that they, that that was their objective at the end of the course was to make a lightsaber. It truly is a small world. That is uh, Ben Brzezinski from Niles High School, and he is a Maine West grad, actually. So as a Maine West grad, you know, I just don't know what it is about Maine West, but they turn out some great machinists. I took my... Uh, machinist apprentice program at Maine West High School in the early 80s. There's something about Maine West. There is. I mean, telling you. I was in a classroom with about 40 students, two or three nights a week, crammed, about 40, 45 students. It was it was crazy. I, I, and those days are coming back. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's a renaissance, almost. So what are the challenges of running a, a metals program or a machining program in high school? I definitely think with today's focus on on testing and i think some of the metrics that that schools are assessed by uh, there's the school report card and they're looking at things like what is the average act score in in your high school those types of metrics sometimes drive administrators to make decisions that are, are focused on those metrics. That, that As opposed they, to f- focus on the kid's future or focus on their creativity or, or something like that. I think that. there's so many different paths to success that you really have to look at your community and be inclusive to your entire community and, and have that really be the, the report card of how well you're doing as a school. And I think sometimes we get caught up in in just, you know, the data. And we forget that there's, you know, we are in a niche community that's unique to, to Franklin Park or it's unique to North Lake. And if we embrace our community a little bit more and figure out what our community needs are, like our employers needs, then we'll end up with, I think, a much healthier program and a little bit more service back to who we serve. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a great statement because here in, you know, Franklin Park, it's, it's a Mecca of machining companies and manufacturing companies and small machine shops. So there's going to be just a lot of opportunities for well-paying jobs. Frank, how many kids are enrolled or students, I should say, are enrolled in, in your program right now? And, and have you seen that evolve over the last few years? Have you seen much more kids coming in? Right now, we have district-wide just shy of 200. We have about 180 students in the, in the program, in the metalworking program, which is a lot. Uh, we just opened up our West machine shop. We used to have a machine shop, and like many schools, we shut it down some, somewhere around the mid-80s. Just this year, we opened it back up. 
Same type of equipment there too? Same type of equipment. It's a beautiful shop, beautiful shop. And uh, to have a new space and design it from scratch was a, a fantastic process. And our students really responded. We, we went from only having one student that would maybe be bussed over to now having 100 students that elect to take that course. Yeah, it, it's actually, it's, it's grown a little bit and, and, and it grew a lot a bit last year, so much so that we hired a new teacher. I think we probably should wrap this episode up pretty soon, but I have one more question. I, I have I'm, one more too. So go ahead with yours and okay. I'll ask my- I'd like to hear a success story about one of your students that's made it through the entire program and how after all of those years in here, and he or she probably did really well with the curriculum and graduated and did well, did they translate into a machinist career or, or what? We have so many of those students, it's hard to narrow down one. Um, I, we, on our tech council, we actually have a graduate that I w- had the privilege of teaching, which is kind of crazy. I f- it makes me feel really, really old. But uh, yeah, to have a student that I had in class now be gainfully employed, so much so that he dedicates his time back to the high school and is a member of the tech council, that, 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 that was uh, a privilege and an honor just to have taught him and then have that you know, be so rewarding to have him come back and then share uh, his experience with our future students. That comes, um, comes full circle. That's great. Yeah, it really does. That, that's really fantastic. Does. You know, even students now, we have, uh, we have a, a senior who, he, he already has a child. And you think about a high school kid who has a child, uh, you'd think a bleak future. And so what we've been able to do is get him from McDonald's. He was literally working at McDonald's. He had a second job. He's trying to do what's right, trying to graduate, uh, trying to pay bills for diapers and things like that. We were able to get him a job at a machining company. Now he actually has a, a true career path and a bright future where, you know, I don't know if that exists at a, at a fast food place. I really don't know if that would be the case. That's, that's a great story. I want to talk to that gentleman and maybe get him on to interview and talk about his experience. I think that's great. Frank gave us some yeah, just Frank, great I'm, free feedback on running a machining program in high school. And I think that if there's any listeners out there, any manufacturing leaders that are, that are thinking to themselves, I don't know what the pipeline is for bringing in new team members into my shop. I really feel like I've, I'm going to have a deficit in the future. Act now and really you know contact your high school and figure out a way to get this going. And you know I think Jim and I, we really want to equip the communities across the country in order to make that happen because we we we're concerned about you know the future of manufacturing just because of the number of skilled people that are able to fill those jobs. I know. I know it's it's amazing. I got to tell you it was I'm very impressed in seeing what I saw today and um it makes me feel really good. It's like it's like there's a renaissance. You know, everything the old is coming coming new again and uh it's exciting and uh, you know there is good careers for these young people out there. College is not necessarily the path that you have to take. You can have a good career in this industry, and I'm glad to see that it's alive and well. So with that, bam, bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share, and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear, and we'll see you next time on Making Chips.